Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just the Girl and True Crime. And I'm going to tell you guys about my sponsor, Anchor. Now you're probably thinking, what is Anchor? Well, I'm about to tell you. It's everything you need and the easiest way to start your own podcast all in one place. Anchor allows you to have all of these tools right at your hand from your phone or even for your computer. I know I use my phone and my computer phone if I want to upload something. You know, a little fresh when I'm on the go or at home on my computer when I'm sitting there Friday night doing nothing. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast just in one place. What are you guys waiting for? And I know you're probably thinking, how much did this cost you? Well, it's free. Totally free. If you want to get started, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You won't regret it. I didn't. Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Girl and True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven. Um, I actually just wanted to record this because my I had my youngest in it and I just... He was, he was a little loud and he's still up, so... And I found some other stuff, so I just... I just wanted to record. We first let's talk about some stuff. I'm sorry, one that I have not been on lately. Um, after Thanksgiving, work was super busy. We had to do some stuff to the house, and now we are in December, and Christmas is two weeks away. Can you believe that? I can't. And tonight's case, we are going to be talking about Kelly and Bates. And boy, this one is gonna piss you off because it pissed me off and it still pisses me off as I'm reading this so I don't know if this is going to be like a long one or a shorter one and everything like that so let is let's talk about this all right so obviously it's a murder case Number of victims, one, the date The date of the murder was April 16th, 1996. The next day, the person who we are going to talk a lot about was arrested. The victim was Kelly Ann Bates. She was 17. Method of murder, he said, was drowning. This happened in Manchester, England in the United Kingdom. All right, so let's hop into it. All right, so I got a lot of this stuff from Murderpedia and another website that I don't remember the name of. Oh, it's called Bugged Space. All right, so. I guess Kelly was an English teacher who was murdered in Manchester, like I said, on April 16th in 1996 when she was 17. Um, when I saw that, I was like, oh, I didn't think I was doing the right case. But I guess I was, and I guess obviously different, like, you know, things are different. Just like in the UK, um, I don't know if it's still, like, a thing. When they're 16, um they classify them as adults so maybe that's why she was an english teacher i'm not sure i don't know if it was still there 
She was tortured for over a four-week period, including some terrible stuff that we are going to talk about before she was being drowned in the bathtub. All right, so. When Kelly was 16 years old, she gathered her parents in the kitchen to tell them something very, very special to her. Unknowingly to her mother, Kelly brought her boyfriend home for the first time. On what's something that should be very happy and you are like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is great. But no, it's not like that at all, guys. She informed her parents that she actually had been in a relationship for two years and that her boyfriend was 32 years old. And his name was James Patterson Smith. And he entered the room after she informed her parents about, you know, her new boyfriend, James. Kelly's mother, Margaret, was very taken aback when she learned of his age which was twice the age of her daughter. But not only that, her mom actually noticed something off about him right away. He didn't look like a 32-year-old man at first, and he seemed to be much older than what he was leading on. Kelly told her family that she and her boyfriend had been together, like I said, for two years. The couple met in 1993 when Kelly was just 14 years old. Yes, 14, guys. You heard me right. They were able to keep their relationship a secret from their families until she actually eventually summoned the courage to tell them about it. How do you keep a relationship with that big of an age difference? A secret. Uh, I don't know. Her mom decided to do what any, you know, parent or concerned parent would do. And she decided to get more details about her daughter's boyfriend, but she came up empty-handed because she asked if anyone knew 32-year-old James Patterson Smith. But he wasn't actually 32, guys. He was actually 49 years old. That's 33 years older than Kelly was. Kelly never imagined that the guy she hoped would be the ideal boyfriend would take her life in a few months later as she stood in the kitchen telling her family about her 32-year-old boyfriend. Her mom said, you know, Kelly's an adult now. Her parents really couldn't stop her from seeing her boyfriend. But her mom, Margaret, later admitted in an interview that she just wanted to stab him with the bread knife in the kitchen. She regretted not doing that at that time, saying, This wasn't the man I wanted for my daughter. I vividly recall seeing our bread knife in the kitchen and wanting to pick it up and stab him in the back. As any parent would do, I would do it if my kids brought home a 52-year-old woman, let's say. I'd be like, first off, what are you doing? And, yeah, I mean, I would react that same way. That's scary. Kelly was 16 at the time, like I said. In Britain, she was, act she was an adult. Her parents could not force her to stay away from him, although she didn't know it was best for her. Hell, I didn't know it was best at 18, let alone, let alone 16. Soon after meeting in the kitchen on November 30th in 1995, 
Kelly left her family home and moved south to live with her unemployed boyfriend. She did not visit the family, and she only spoke to them on the phone most of the time. Margaret was getting very worried from the beginning. She wanted to go to the police, but Kelly was too old for the police as she was technically an adult for them to do anything. She didn't listen to her mother, and her mom said, I didn't know what to do. She was too old for the police, and she would not listen to her. So, I mean, at that time, it's like, I guess your hands are practically tied. During the relationship, Kelly and James actually broke up for a while, but then James would stalk her until they got back together. While trips to James's house were common for Kelly, her parents followed her to James's house. While there, James invited them into the house and showed them a hole in the floorboards. He said that it had been made by engineers repairing a gas leak, and Kelly's parents believed that this was the place where he held Kelly as captive. Her parents agreed that, you know, she could stay there with only one condition, that she keeps in regular contact and keeps coming to their home. But soon after she moved out, she stopped visiting the family, and when she stopped by for rare visits, her parents actually noticed that she had bruises on her arms, which you don't want to see that on your child who is in this new relationship. No, I guess not new, but is now like living in the home with their partner. Soon, Margaret and Tammy had enough of Kelly not visiting her home for several days. And they wanted to meet her, you know, just to see how she was doing. You know, they wanted to make sure she was okay. As they were about to leave, however, the oldest son actually returned home and told her that one of his friends had seen Kelly and she was fine. There was nothing to worry about. It's okay. I'm looking at this picture of this guy and boy. Margaret was actually happy to learn that her daughter was doing well, and she completely forgot to ask when the last time, you know, this friend saw her, what time was it. She would be protected from her boyfriend's um, barbaric torment if, you know, they just went to check on her, but they were told, you know, she's fine, it's okay. If it wasn't bad, as bad enough from Kelly not going to see her you know, parents, she eventually stopped seeing her relatives, fearful that her parents would find out about, you know, more bruises. Over the holidays, she avoided giving them visits. She just wouldn't go. James actually sent letters. Um, James sent Kelly's family's... Let me retry that. James sent Kelly's family family um letters basically posing as kelly i don't know why i can't talk it's 10 30 at night and it's whew, i had a rough day already on march 10th in 1996 margaret called kelly to inform her that she had missed the dentist appointment and uh this is rough that was the last time they actually spoke to each other Kelly promised she would come home to visit the family on Mother's Day, which was the next Sunday, but she never did. Margaret instead received a card from Kelly, but it was not written in Kelly's handwriting. And at Kelly's father's birthday and her parents' wedding anniversary, 
you know, they witnessed the similar letters that it wasn't written in her thing. They knew something was wrong at that point, but Kelly was murdered before they, you know, could intervene. Kelly was subjected to horrific torment in the weeks leading up to her death. While the family waited by the phone, James actually had a history of mistreating people who he shared a home with. His first marriage ended in, in a divorce after he continued to hit his pregnant wife and other women who dated James shared similar accounts that this is how he was. He was no different to Kelly, but instead escalated the abuse to a frightening new level. All of this was revealed on April 16th in 1996 when Smith went to the Gorton police station and said that he killed Kelly while she was laying in a bathtub, drowning her. When authorities, you know, were like, okay, we gotta go check this out. This is a little weird. When they got to the house where Kelly was at, the truth was revealed and that what they saw was a very, very, very different story. Kelly was held prisoner for four weeks by this monster. And we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about what she went through, okay guys? Um, but before that we are going to talk about some a little bit of background about James Smith over here. He was unemployed, divorced, living in Gorton, Manchester, described by acquaintances as house proud and well groomed. He was a Tito Tito taller and a non-smoker. I don't know what a Tito totter is, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And like I said, his marriage ended after 10 years in 1980 due to his violence towards his wife. He had then commenced an affair between 1980 and 1982 with a 20-year-old named Tina Watson, whom he used as a punching bag, even subjecting her to severe beatings while she was pregnant with his child. Tina managed to escape from the relationship during which James had also attempted to drown her while she was bathing. In 1982, James had began a statutory rape relationship with a 15-year-old named Wendy Monstershead, who was also a victim of his violence. In one attack, he held her head underwater in a kitchen sink to attempt to drown her. And then in 1993, that is when he began another statutory rape relationship with Kelly while she was only 14 years old. Approximately two, approximately two years later, she left school and she moved in with James in their home in Furnival Road in Gorton. She had concealed the relationship, like we said, from her parents And everything like that. Her mom tried to get Kelly away from him, but, you know, she just wouldn't listen. Although she had, like, left him before for arguments, you know, in November 1995. She was, she was back to living with him then. And that's when they noticed the bruising and stuff like that. When Kelly's brother actually tried to see her at the house, um, James said she was not home. 
And then when a concerned neighbor asked her asked after her, she was briefly shown an up shown she was briefly shown at an upstairs window, which is very fishy, right? So, like I said, he went into the police station, and this is where she supposedly drowned, claiming he claimed that she inhaled um, bath water and died. Dispute his attempts trying to resuscitate her. When the police went in, they found Kelly's naked body in a bedroom. Kelly's blood was found in every room of the house. In a post-mortem examination revealed over 150 separate injuries on her body. During the last month of her life, she had been kept bound in the house sometimes tied by her hair to radiators or chains, and at other times with a ligature around her neck. William Lawler at the home office um, said, who, you know, looked at her body, said this, In my career, I have never examined... I've, I have examined almost 600 victims of homicide, but I've never came across injuries so extensive. And these are what the injuries include, and I'm telling you. Wait till I tell you about this guy's trial. So, scalding to her butt and her left leg. Burns on her thigh caused by the application of a hot iron. A fractured arm, <coughs> multiple stab wounds caused by knives, forks, and scissors, stab wounds inside her mouth, crushed injuries to both hands, mutilation of her ears, nose, eyebrows, mouth, lips, and genitalia, wounds caused by a spade or pruning shears, which are like them hedge clippers you use to um, clip your bushes. Both eyes were gouged out and later stabbed. Um, wounds were inside the empty sockets, and she also had partial scalping. William determined that her eyes actually had been removed not less than five days and not more than three weeks before her her death. She had been starved, losing around 20 kg in weight, and she had not received water days before her death. Peter... Openshaw, the prosecutor in his trial, said that it was as if he deliberately disfigured her, causing her the utmost pain, distress, and um, degradation. These injuries were not the result of one sudden erupt of violence, and they have must been they must have been caused over a long period, and were so extensive and so terrible that the defendant must have deliberately and systematically tortured the girl. The cause of death was drowning immediately prior to which she had been beaten about, um, she was beaten actually with a shower head and she was hit in the head. Peter said her death must have been a merciful end to her torment. So, trial. James denied murder, and he actually claimed that Kelly 
would put him through hell, winding him up. He also claimed that Kelly had taunted him about his mother's death and had a bad habit of hurting himself, I'm sorry, hurting herself to make it look worse on me. So, alright, I want wherever you're at, whether you're driving in the car, you're going to work, you're laying down, you're cleaning, I want us all, let's all picture James, okay? So, because I'm, I'm picturing him right now. Oh, let me get situated. So, we're going to act like we're talking to James, okay? So, James, you're telling me she taunted you and you were like, yeah, okay, sure, we, I can do that. No, no, James, no. When they asked him to explain why he had blinded, stabbed, and battered Bates or Kelly, she said he said she had dared him to do it, challenging him to do her harm, because that's what people want them to do. I mean, I don't like. I don't like people. Uh, no, not even that. I don't go up to my husband and be like, "Hey, hey, babe. I want you to blind me, stab me, and do all of that to me." He's not listening, so it's okay. No, I mean, I just don't go up to my husband and challenge him to do harm to me. I'm sorry. And I'm pretty sure she didn't do that either. A jury at the Manchester Crown Court only took one hour to find 49-year-old James Patterson Smith guilty of Kelly's murder. Sensing, sentencing him to life imprisonment, imprisonment the judge, Mr. Justice Shex recommended that Smith should serve a minimum of 20 years, which doesn't seem long to me, but all right. He stated that this had been a terrible case, a catalog of, um, you know, abuse by one human being upon another. They, he said, you are a highly dangerous person. You are an abuser of women, and I intend so far as it is in my power that you will abuse no more. The jury was provided with professional counseling to deal with the help of the distress of seeing photographs of Bates' injuries and the sickening violence of the case. I just don't see how he said that he wants to claim that he is the victim here. I just don't get it. As for her mother, Margaret, she wishes, I just want him to die just like Kelly did. I know I shouldn't say this, but I wish I'd, kill, I wish I'd killed him the first time I saw him. That way, Kelly would still be alive. And guys, that, you know, that's a rough case of um, Kelly and Bates. Holy heck. I didn't hear about this case until I, um... Until I heard somebody else cover it. I'm like, what? I was just. I'm just shocked. Like. Oh, man. Poor Kelly. And I don't know if he's still alive. And I'm. I can't really find anything. I've tried looking. But as far as I see, like, people say, like, he's still. 
Um, he's still in prison. There's a Facebook profile. Oh my god, there is. Woo. Sorry if you hear my clicking. That's me. All right. The last post was on March um, 21st, 2019. Someone said, let's not forget about what James Patterson Smith did to Kelly Ann Bates. He brutally gouged her eyes, scalding her and tortured her by tying her hair to a hot radiator. Britain's justice system is pathetic. 20 years for this question mark. Um, that's not my words. That's what somebody said. Uh, yes. Obviously, you guys hear my son is still up. That is crazy. I just want to know. I just want to know if he's still alive. Well, I don't know if he's still alive. <coughs> I'm not really sure. My voice just <laughs> my voice just cracked. I'm sorry. So I don't know, guys, but that is you know, that's the case of James. That's the case of Kelly Ann Bates, and super sad. Oh man, that was a rough one. I'm gonna go do the rest of my dishes because I don't I don't know, guys. That that's rough. Like, it's like he, he basically, like, groomed her and everything. And I don't want people to be like, well, their parent, her parents could have done more. In Britain, you know, at that time, she was an adult. And they tried. But if the police won't help because she's an adult, then there's not really much they can do. I mean, you just can't take her by the ear and go, you're coming back with me. You know? Oh, I I just don't know. I really don't. I'll post some pictures on my Instagram. Um, uh, so enough about that, okay? So, let me pause this real quick and type something up so you don't hear me click. So, guys, I told you. You remember our Scott Peterson case that we talked about? I know we all do. Well, if no one, I, I don't know, I'm... Assuming since you guys listen to True Crime, you already know this, but for people, you know, if you don't know about it, Scott Peterson, this mother freaker right here, he is no longer on death row. And now you're probably like, what? Yes. Four days ago, according to the CBS local... He was, you know, obviously was sentenced to death. But now he is sentenced to life without parole and everything like that. And now they're talking about possibly him getting a, um, about him possibly getting a new trial. And they're going to, they're basically going to decide to see if it's up to the ma mass luo to decide if he should get the new trial on the charges and there's an allegation from this article from this article that says the allegation is that a female juror lied when answering questions about her background and her own experience specifically with whether or not she had been 
a victim of domestic violence, this person explained. At the time, there were, there's, um, you know, juror misconduct, and it doesn't automatically mean the case gets thrown out. The judge has to determine if this juror's misconduct denied Scott Peterson of a fair trial. Scott, go, go back now. Peter, Scott, you know, continues to plea his innocent, and he wants to fight to have his conviction overturned based on allegations that the juror on this case was untruthful when she filled out the questionnaire. I've never been on jury duty, but I kind of want to be on jury duty. So I don't, I don't know. And a hearing on the Mr. Misconduct claim that claim is scheduled for late February. Scott, I wouldn't just want to call him Peterson. Scott is 49 and he's nearly spent two decades on death row for the crime that captured obviously the nation's attention. He was convicted and after his trial was moved from that county due to all the publicity that filed Lacey, Lacey's Christmas Eve 2002 disappearance on the massive thing, the massive search that followed. Investigators say that I almost said Chris, that Scott, who was having an affair, took the body, you know, of his pregnant wife. Y'all know that. If you want to listen to it, I have that podcast. Um, I have that episode up. So I don't know, guys. Um, I've been keeping a very eye on this and everything like that. Because I'm like, is he going to do it? <laughs> I'm giving my stuff. Giving my youngest animal cracker. So if you heard him say yay, he's he's excited. Here, baby. You're welcome, honey. So like I said, I've definitely been keeping an eye on this because, oh, man, it's been all over. And like I said, guys, I really thought, thank you, honey. I really thought he was going to get a new, I I mean, like I said in my podcast, I really think he's going to get a new trial, but I'm not, I'm not sure. So, well, I mean, well, I'll just keep an eye on him. We'll see. I mean, maybe we'll get to recover the Peterson case. Oh, man. But I think that's all the stuff I wanted to tell you guys about. I don't think he should be spared the death penalty, but I, I don't know. This new mugshot looks kind of weird because he's got, like, this sly smile. Oh, here's one. He, um, sit down. On the New York Post. Let me see. Scott Peterson denied bail ahead of resentencing for murder of his wife and unborn son. Let's see. He was denied bail in December, hearing where he will be resentenced to life without the possibility of parole by judge on Wednesday. Hmm. Here. No, mommy's podcasting. Um, 
The California Supreme Court tossed out his sentence last year, and the prosecutors have decided that they no longer want to seek his execution. All right. All right. That's all I could really find. So we will... We're just going to have to see and wait what happens, guys, because I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen in this case. It's... It's crazy. Oh. Here, Lacey's mom addressed Scott in Redwood City courtroom as he was resentenced to life without parole. All right. So... In an emotional hearing that brought the high-profile convicted killer face-to-face -face again with his, um, with his former in-laws, Scott sat expressionless at Lacey's mother as she addressed the one-time Modesto fertilizer salesman. I, I still feel the grief every day after 19 years, Sharon told her one-time son-in-law. Wearing a red jumpsuit with an orange undershirt, his face was covered by a mask. Inside the courtroom were masks, were masked family members of Lacey, of where both Lacey and Scott gathered. Speaking into a deep, angry tone, Sharon told Scott that his son, who was named to be Connor, would have been 18 now, so Peterson would be free from paying child support. He had divorced Lacey if he had um, divorced Lacey instead. She said, you're a coward. I see no sorrow, no remorse. Her comments came nearly two decades after the, prosecution, after the prosecutor said, Scott was having an affair. You know, you guys know that. Poof. That. Oh, my goodness. And then early next year, like I said, there will be another hearing to decide whether he will get a new trial because of, you know, the juror misconduct. And Scott's team has argued that since that one juror falsely answered questions and failed to disclose whether she was beaten while pregnant by a boyfriend in 2001, even if Scott is granted a new trial, prosecutors have said that they will not seek the death penalty after consulting with Lacey's family. Good for them, because I'd be like, nope, death penalty. Her half-sister sobbed as well as she spoke. She said there had been so many um, special occasions that Lacey and Connor should have been there for, she said, and I honestly don't know how you go on living. There's no words to express the pain, Lacey's brother Brent said, and he apologized for crying. We have been devastated and traumatizing. Scott stared down toward each speaker, showing little reaction. Her mom says, I miss my daughter. The last family member to speak said, I have dreams about her. Oh, that, that's brutal. She recounted the final time she saw Lacey at the December dinner almost 19 years ago when she rested her hand on her daughter's stomach, hoping to feel the future grandson move. Lacey remembered how Scott said... 
how Scott didn't want the baby, but hoped he'd, you know, come around someday, which is heartbreaking. Her mom said that it broke her heart, adding she now thinks back of how Scott was already planning her murder. Oh, man. That is so... That that's that's heartbreaking. Um, I just I just think he just also wanted to reach out to tell the family that he understands your feelings. He understands why they believe he is guilty," said Harris. But he wanted to make it clear that there is no way he could possibly harm Lacey and Connor. After the hearing, Scott's sister-in-law, Janie, accused the Modesto police of ignoring evidence and looking to blame Scott due to his, due to his affair with Amber Fry, a Fresno massage therapist. She said they strictly focused on her brother-in-law because he was having an affair. I mean, Chris Watts did it. I mean, he did it. Lacey's family did not speak publicly after the resentencing wrap and wrapped up and left through a back door. They had said plenty to Scott's face. I just like lost my spot. Hold on. You will still, they, um, her sister Amy said, you will still be punished in this life and after. And guys, that's where we stand with the Scott Peterson case and all of that stuff. And, oof, boy, that's a lot. I didn't expect it to go that long, but I wanted to share you guys with Scott Peterson. The hell he's been doing up and, you know, you all guys already know me. I told, I told my one co-worker about this and she thinks the... Which I don't agree with. She thinks um, Amber Fry had something to do with it, but I don't. I genuinely don't think she knew. But hey, we're not. We don't know, right, guys? But guys, if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, you can follow me at Just a Grown True Crime. You can send me an email at Just a Grown True Crime at gmail.com. I forgot someone actually emailed me on there and i wanted to thank them i'm not going to use their name because i don't know if they want their name mentioned they said they listen to me they think the podcast is awesome and they listen on Castbox. and they said please keep the good work work and by the time you know it you'll have a larger following and they said if they had if CastBox had a star rating, they would give me five stars. Um, thank you so much. I'm not going to use your name because I don't know if you want to use. You can also follow the Facebook page at Just a Grown True Crime. There also is a, um, what's it called? It's not like a fan, like a group. Yeah, like a Facebook group. And it's Just a Grown True Crime. Uh, what else? Email. Okay, I think that's it, guys. Um, I'm going to upload maybe... I think I'm going to upload Wednesday. I have some cases on a sticky note that I want to do, but I want to start researching. I'm going to go and I can so I can try to get my youngest to bed because he's, he's crawling on my couch and 
Poof, man. We gotta go to bed. I got <laughs> got church tomorrow. <laughs> so guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to spread love, not hate. And I will keep you updated with the Scott Peterson case. And I will talk to you guys next time.